0: Amen. So today's message is called Yes and Amen. And, you know, there's many times in church where there's an appropriate place to say amen. And a lot of times we just don't, it doesn't quite escape from our mouth. We have good intentions, we're like, mm, that was good, mm, mm. We might give a mm, you know, or something like that. But we don't quite say amen or yes, you know. And, and, and really, it is a, a biblical practice that when you hear the word preached, that you should follow it by saying amen. Not only is it a confirmation of the promises of God that you receive it, but it also encourages the speaker that you're actually listening, <laughs> that you heard something that is being said, and they you get a little encouraged up here, you know, and you, and you, and you say, okay, now they're listening. I can, I can preach a little bit more. So it, it, it really does a lot. But let's dig into this a little bit more, not just a surface look at it, but let's dig into it a little bit more. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you'll flip there with me, if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, flip over there with me, and we'll dig into the Word here. Let me just open us up with this Word with a little prayer. Dear only Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity today to receive your Word, to be doers of the Word, not just here. So, Father, as we hear your Word today, I pray that we are all doers. We walk out of here changed, transformed, not the same as we came in. And we're able to walk out the word that you are giving us today. It changes us. It transforms us. It renews us. It accomplishes what it sets out to do. It does not come to us and return to you void, but accomplishes exactly what it sets out to do. Because your word says so. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 17 is where we're going to start. We should have it up on the screen. Yeah, we do. And uh, so follow along, um, take notes, whatever you need to do. So 17 starts, you may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? Do you think I am like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you, and as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. Jesus is God's ultimate yes. He always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, our amen, our part, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees he has promised us. A first installment. Have you ever looked at the Holy Spirit as that? The Holy Spirit is the first installment of his promise. So he installs something in you. The first installment. You know, when you, you buy a house and you got a mortgage, you make that first payment or the down payment. That's your first payment. You're, you're excited about that because, it, you, you know, you, you've got something. You're sewing into something. You're building something. You've got an investment. And you make that first installment, and it means something. But none of that compares. Even the joy of the first house ownership, none of that compares with the first installment that God gives you of the Holy Spirit within your heart. What a first installment. The confirmation that, that, that comes inside of you. Because see, if you look at this, you get the Father who gives the promise. So God the Father gives the promise. Jesus fulfills the promise. And the Holy Spirit places the confirmation on our hearts, which is the yes. That's the process of yes and amen. God gives the promise. The Father, Jesus, uh, fulfills the promise. He is the physical representation of the promise. And then the Holy Spirit confirms within you. You ever get that thing when you just, you just know that you know? You didn't hear the audible voice of God. You didn't, it wasn't like God was speaking right into your ear. But something within you confirms what you should do, the decision you should make. That's the old first installment that God gave you. The first go-to when I'm making a decision is, is it in me? Am I getting a confirmation inside of me? Is the Holy Spirit confirming something in me? Because that is the confirmation of the yes. And our reply comes after that. We start to see this process. God the Father's involved. Jesus is involved. The Holy Spirit's involved. And then here comes our part. Our part is the amen. Which means yes. It just means yes. Which is the confirmation of acceptance of the promise. Did you get that? It is the confirmation of the acceptance of the promise. I need to write that down. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty good one. Confirmation of the acceptance of the promise. It just confirms, yes, Lord, I receive what you said. I receive your word. And it's done simply by amen. That's, it, it's a simple process. But yet we miss it so often. We sit there, and if you can't say amen in church, how can you say it in public? You know, how can you declare something to the world if you can't declare it to your brothers and sisters in Christ? But we sit there, and I've done it too. I, I, we sit there and we think, I don't want to be loud in here. I don't want to say something out loud. And we, 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 we sit on the yes. We sit on the confirmation. We don't, follow, we don't finish the process. Here is God fulfilling a process in your life, fulfilling a promise in your life, and you just sit there like you're not even ready to receive it. And all it took was a simple... Amen, Lord. You don't have to be loud, obnoxious. Just amen. But it should be verbal. It should be verbal. It's one thing to say it within your heart, but you, there's nothing, nothing wrong with verbally receiving the promise. Amen, Lord. Go with me to Numbers 23. Numbers 23, we're going to go to verse 19. Numbers 23, 19. <clears throat> So let's unpack this a little bit. Let's look look at a little bit more, and look at some examples here, so we can really kind of get an idea. Because I believe that all of us are believing for something. There's something on your prayer list that hasn't been answered yet. There's something that you believe God's going to do in your life that hasn't been fulfilled yet. There's something you've been just knowing in your knower that God is going to do, and you haven't quite seen it yet, but you're believing. You know it. I know I heard the Lord in this. I know God is in this. Man, three people came up and confirmed this thing to me. God is in this because he said by the mouth of two or three witnesses, things should be confirmed. So I'm seeing it over and over. And, and I said, but I haven't seen the promise yet. I, I've been walking around this place six times with the walls haven't fallen yet. But I'm not going to give up because on that seventh time, if I'd have given up on number six, the walls wouldn't have come down on number seven. got to know that I know that God's promises are yes and amen, and i got to stand firm on it something is going to happen in your life if you're just willing to stand firm and utter one simple word amen lord even when you don't see it anyone you don't know what's happening amen lord and just believe that one day because his ways are higher than our ways i can't tell you the timing of god's promises in your life and two people can have a similar promise and, and end up in totally different time frames and you're wondering why did they get theirs answered and i didn't get mine Maybe God has a different answer for you, and it looks a whole lot different, and the timing's different, but the answer is still yes. (laughs) So Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Now, one thing that's kind of Kind of, kind of confusing in this, and it says that God does not change His mind. But if you're a scholar of the Bible, if you've read through a few pages more than just a little bit, you've seen places where God literally has changed His mind, and you look at that verse and you say, "Well, that seems to contradict itself. It doesn't seem to line up." And so I looked into this a little bit farther because that can frustrate a believer. That can frustrate somebody. I say, "Well, God says it doesn't change His mind." How can I stand firm in this? And then he says he doesn't change his mind, but in this place over here, he changes his mind in this guy's life. So it gets you a little unstable. It gets you and like maybe I'm off on this thing. And you've got to understand this. God's mind doesn't change. In other words, his character, his integrity, who he is, the very fabric of God never changes. He, he might change uh, the, the conditions that are going on, it, 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 so we have to kind of look at this and see what causes God to change his mind, where he literally would change something, because God can change his plans at any time. It doesn't mean that he's literally changing who he is or that suddenly his yes became a no. It, be, it means that when he makes a promise, believe me, a covenant stays a covenant and never will change. But God sometimes can change His plans, especially in your life. Now see that what happens in this, when I look in the Bible and see the places where God changed His mind, when something literally changed, that I see the condition of that person's heart and I see their prayer life and it was a, those two conditions seem to affect God's plans. where God intended to do this, pass judgment here or do something here, but the man or woman of God, got on his knees and starts to pray. His condition of his heart changed. He repented and turned from his wicked ways. Suddenly, God says, I will relent in what I intended to do, and I changed my plans. He didn't change his mind, he changed his plan. Do you start to see the difference there? So, we can literally affect God's plans in your life because certain things might be headed in a certain direction by how you're living by how you're speaking, by how you're acting, by what you're doing, who you're hanging out with, all the things that are associated with you. But you start to change some things. You start to speak differently. You start to declare the word over things. You get on your knees and say, Lord, I am sorry I repent of this. I was wrong here and, return, and turn from that thing. Repentant means a 180 turn and go the other direction. It doesn't just mean I'm sorry. How many times you said, I'm sorry, and didn't? It was just to get you out of trouble. Right? Amen, brother. We've all done that a little bit. We've all done that. It's an escape route. I'm sorry it's an escape route. But when, see, Jesus, you're not going to fool Jesus. He looks right past that, into that heart, where he's placed the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, and looks at it and says, is it really changed? Is the condition of the heart changed? Is this a repentant heart or is it just words trying to tickle my ears? And when he sees a true repentant heart, he sees a man or woman of God in prayer seeking a different resolution, seeking a different response. God can look at that and say, now, I can change my my plan, and it's now really lining up with I, what I intended to do in the first place, because his intention is always to bless us, but our lives don't always line up for blessings. Your situation may not be lined up for a blessing in your life because sometimes if God were to bless you in the mess that you're in, you would destroy yourself so fast it's ridiculous. God help my finances, help my finances, and he pours money out on you. There's people that would kill themselves by extra money. Not intentionally, just things would go go south real fast. So we have to realize that our prayer life and our heart condition come into play in God's plans. Go over over to me at James 5.16. James 5.16. So James 5.16 5, says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces produces wonderful results. Changes plans. So it says, there's, there's a pattern here. We, you always look for the pattern. What is the, If I'm wanting something to happen in my life, if I'm wanting to see God's fulfillment of, of, of His plans in my life, He always gives us a pattern. If it's for anxiety, he says, be anxious for nothing. In other words, I don't intend for you to be anxious. I don't want you to be anxious. All of us get anxious at times, and some of us worse than others. But he says, my intention is not for you to be anxious. It's not my plan. He says, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And the result is the peace that surpasses understanding. So instead of anxiety, you end up with peace. So he gives you like a, a blueprint for success in this area. And you can't just use it once and expect for the anxiety to go away. It has to be a pattern in your life over and over again. And eventually we start to see God respond to that because our hearts tend to change. And we start to see different things happen. And we start to see peace overcoming anxiety. And anxiety, trust me, is going to want to come back on you. Because if the devil's had his way with you in a certain area, guess what? He's going to keep coming back to you in that area. Until you stomp on him in victory over and over and over again, and he says, you know what? That door is closed. I don't think I'm going to go that route anymore. It's worthless. I'm, it's, it's, it's not even worth my time. That believer doesn't think that way anymore. He reads the word. She reads the word. And, and, man, they believe it now. I can't, I can't, I can't mess with them. you got to understand that those things make a difference in our life. So when James, he says, this is the plan here. Confess your sins to each other. How many times do we do that? How many times do we sit down with each other and go, hey, brother, sister, you know what? I've got some stuff going on, and I need to talk about it. I'm going to follow this biblical blueprint because it says I get some healing out of this, and and I need some healing in my life. So maybe I'm going to sit down with somebody that I trust, that I know is in the word, that I knows in a relationship with the Lord, that knows I, that has got a good prayer life, that hears from God. That's the person I'm going to sit down and confess my sins with. And I'm going to sit down with that brother and say, you know what? This is going on. This is where I'm falling short. This is what's happening. And I need to confess this thing. It's been in the dark. But, brother, today I'm bringing it to the light. Because where the light is is where God is. And I want this thing to be, have, to have victory all over it. And we start to confess that thing, and it says right here: is that we do that, we start to pray for each other. So confession followed by believe, by praying, we pray for each other, and it says that the result of that is that you may be healed, your heart may be healed. You may maybe it's physical healing, but a lot of times in this thing here, it's 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 it's, it's uh, you know, it's it's spiritual healing that needs to take place. You know the, the mental anguish that sometimes goes on in us can be cured by sitting down with somebody you trust and talking it out. That's why counselors do this thing. It's not because they were geniuses and figured this thing out a long ago. It's because they're following a biblical process that actually works. And it, because it's in the Word and it's a process that God intended to work, the world has taken and used it. And it works. It's called counseling. That's why you go to counseling? What happens? They just ask you a couple of questions, and hopefully you just start babbling and talking it all out. (laughs) A good counselor doesn't talk much. And if you're sitting down with somebody and they've got something to get off their chest, don't talk much. It's not about you. It's about what they need to get off their chest. So as they're talking, just let them do it. And when they're done, pray for them. And believe that God's Word, He's not a man So he doesn't lie, and that if his word says that healing is coming, you too believe as one that healing is coming, and then let it be by amen. There's a process to these things, and sometimes it's so simple. We think, ah, that's too easy. I can't do that. It's too easy. Now, not going to somebody and confessing your sins is not easy. Trust me. It's hard to do the first time. But as it becomes a practice in your life, it becomes normal. It becomes who you are. Like me and Preston, we come from a background that that's just what we did on a daily basis. When we were in Teen Challenge, every day people got up in front of a group of 50-plus men and confessed their sins. And then we prayed. We prayed for that person. And we saw healing all the time. But it became the norm. It's what you did. It's how we got healed in our lives. It's how we got restored. It's a restoration. We saw families restored. We saw situations that looked impossible, that looked like they were dead, come to life again through this process. But in general, we, as Christians, we, 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 we can stay away from this thing. We, we don't want nothing to do with telling somebody else our problems. I'm not telling you to get up in front of on this pulpit and con, con, you know, confess everything that you got. But I believe that one day, if you start with one person and start confessing your stuff and start getting that out and start getting some healing, that one day you will stand up here with a mic in your hand declaring your testimony and saying that this is the goodness of God and what he's done in my life. See, it becomes normal in your life. There's things in my life that I can do holding a mic now and confess, like being abused as a child, that were never talked about, ever. But now I can do that and it's nothing. Why? Because it's normal to me. It doesn't have victory over me. It's not lying to me and telling me that that's, you should be in shame. You should be just, you know, thinking that you know, nobody's going to understand you, that you're the only one this has happened to. No, I say it now because it's happened to everybody practically in some form or another. Some abuse has happened in our life, and I want to declare that God can heal you because he healed my heart. And I started with one. I confessed my sin, and I wasn't, it wasn't a sin of my sin was not talking about it. It, my sin wasn't, it happened to me. It was somebody else's sin. Okay, don't, don't get the wrong. But I confessed something that was in my heart. I confessed. And through that, then I went to two. Those two are sitting right here. And I confessed to them. Then I called my family. This is the process I was going through. And I start talking to them. And I confessed to them. And then it started getting easier. It was so hard that first time that I held it in for, I don't know, 30-something years. I held that thing in because it, was, it had victory over me, it had dominion over me, it was who I was, was the abused person that didn't talk about it. But soon, victory was coming, but it took one step in the right direction of trusting one person, and then trusting two, and then trusting my family, and eventually I was able to get up and say, I was abused as a child, I was taken advantage of, but today I'm not in that position. I've been healed. I've been set free. I've had victory in my life in this area. And if you need it, you can have it, too. It doesn't need to have victory in your life. Find somebody to talk to. And if you're that person to somebody, just sit down and listen and say, what do you got? What can I do? And most of the time, there's nothing you can actually do. Okay, the people that I told, there's nothing they could do to solve it other than listen I'm sorry that happened to you. That's horrible. I'm sorry that you know that's that's what I heard back. But man, that was that was life-changing. Simple, but life-changing. Processes happen. So in James 5:16, we start to see this process, and we start to see that within this thing, when God starts to change his plan, there's this thing called mercy that's passed out, that's given. And mercy. You know, we got grace, but we got mercy, and a lot of times we don't talk about mercy. The mercy is that that getting something we don't deserve. It's getting something we don't deserve. Another way of looking at it is an extension of kindness to the unworthy. An extension of kindness to the unworthy. There's sometimes God injects mercy into your situation. And you don't deserve it, but he gives it anyway. And I want to take you to a kind of a story that kind of shows a little bit of this. It kind of. Talks about everything we've talked to this point. It kind of gives a an example. Let's go to, to Genesis, the uh, the book of Genesis, chapter seventeen. Genesis chapter seventeen. So in this, we're we're dealing with Abraham, and uh, if you're like me, um, after you've heard a, a word and you've given some, been given some scriptures, hopefully, if you write them down. You'll go home, and you'll read the, the surrounding story. Get the fullness of it, because I'm only hitting part of it. Otherwise, we'd be up here for a long time, me reading a lot of scriptures, and pizza would be pushed back, and old people having to wait for us and everything. So that wouldn't be cool. So we're trying to highlight some areas here, but go 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 get the full story That's what I'm saying. This should just kind of inspire you to want more. To get, It's the appetizer, so to speak. Go home, eat the full meal. Okay? So... Genesis 18, uh, we'll start in verse, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 17, Genesis 17, verse 1. This is quite a bit I'm going to read here, but uh, let's go through this. So, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you, a promise, by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down to the ground. Remember, he was Abram at this point. He wasn't Abraham. The ah hadn't been placed in him yet. Abraham fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, "'This is my covenant with you. "'I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. "'What's more, I am changing your name. longer "'It will no longer be Abram. "'Instead, you will be called Abraham, "'for you will be the father of many nations. "'I will make you extremely fruitful.'" Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give you the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abram, Your responsibility... So here we got first we start off with the promise, the covenant. Here's what I'm promising to do in your life. God's given this promise. And hopefully Abraham said saying, Amen. Sounds good. I like this. Good news all the way around. You know, I'm gonna get a land, I've got my generations, everybody's gonna be blessed in my family. I got all this is all good news. But then hears the conditions of the, of the promise. And there's a lot of times conditions in your promise. And if you haven't seen the fulfillment of your promise, The first thing I could do, now remember God's timing is his timing, so it might just be a timing issue, but the first thing I would do was go look and try to remember if there was any conditions that maybe I'm not walking out. First, number one. Because see here, look, in in verse uh, 9, then God said to Abraham, your responsibility uh, is to obey the terms of this covenant. There was terms to this covenant, terms to this agreement. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. See, saying this promise is so big, this covenant is so big that it even expands out, and the, 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 uh, the qualifications of this covenant affect even people in your, that, that work for you, the people that are in your area. There's people that are, that are going to be needing to follow and line up with this covenant in order for you to see the fulfillment of it. So it's start thinking about when you hear a story like this, it's, it's not just a good story in the Bible that we hear about Abraham, but we need to apply it to our lives. What's the application to my life? What's the application of the promise that God has made with me and my family? Or the promise that God made my grandmother two generations ago that hasn't been fulfilled? Is there something going on within the family that covenant-wise hasn't been met and I haven't seen the fulfillment of that promise yet? Because I mean, he starts talking about generations, generation, generation. So sometimes you've got to start looking at the generational thing that's going on. Is there something going on in my family that needs to be corrected? And has God called me to correct it? And will I see the fulfillment in my generation because the correction has been made? We've got to look at this thing. And so he starts talking about what the, what the uh, requirements are. So, All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family to break, uh, for breaking the covenant. So then he switches over to Sarah, and he said, Then God said to Abraham, Regarding Sarai, I think is how you pronounced that before, her, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in, in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of a hundred? He thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she is ninety years old? So Abraham said to God, "May Ishmael live under your special blessing." So there's a little bit of a little bit of doubt in Abraham here, and and he's he's kind of he he laughs, and I want you to remember that because we're going to go to another place where somebody else laughs, but he laughs a little bit. But he's kind of having a little bit of doubt, so he says, you know what, what about this? How about you fulfill your covenant through this son, because he's already here. Because I can't really see how the other one's going to work out, because I'm so old. I don't see how this is going to work out in my life. So how about, can you go ahead and bless what's, what's here? Can you go ahead and put your blessing on what I already have? Because the new, I don't see yet. And so instead of waiting for the new, he says, can you bless the old? And it wasn't God's intention, because God could have done that at any point. He would have said the conditions of this is Ishmael. But he didn't say that. So he's trying to change the conditions of the covenant because he can't see like God sees. So it says, but God replied, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac. He's the new. And I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and, uh, as you have asked. I'm sorry. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. but my covenant, my plan, will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah. About this time next year, when God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. So at that point, hopefully in Abraham's heart, he had an amen. He said, all right, I, I, had a, I, had a, I was hoping you'd just take the easier route and bless what I already got. But evidently, your plan is bigger than what I can imagine or see. Your ways must be higher, because I can't even see it right now. It doesn't seem fathomable for my wife to give birth at 90 years old, and I'm 100. But nevertheless, so he, he, you see a heart condition there with Abraham. He didn't keep arguing. No, 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 Lord, you don't understand. You know, he didn't keep arguing. He just, that was it. That was the point right there. And so he knew that Isaac was coming. So here it is. He knows what's coming. He knows he's going to get a son. I'll check back with you in a year. He knows his son's going to be named Isaac. That's pretty specific on, on the promise, right? But remember back a little ways, a few, a few verses before, there were certain things he had to do to fulfill that promise. And I'm sure he had to get all those things right away. And so let's switch a little bit here and go over to me with, uh, we're still in Genesis, but let's go to um, verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 11. And you see I'm skipping a lot of stuff. So that's where you got to go back and get, all, get the whole thing. But I'm kind of just highlight something here. So in 18, verse 11, it says, Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time. And Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. So she puts herself down first, and a worn-out old woman. And then she you know takes a shot at her husband too. He's pretty old too. So she's laughing too. Something stuck out to me. You got you got Abraham that got a little chuckle out of this promise. And then you got Sarah that's getting a little chuckle too. They're both laughing because it just seems ridiculous, right? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is there anything too hard for me? For the, is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Both of them were laughing. But you see some correction coming for Sarah. Abraham didn't get scolded by the Lord about his unbelief. He just said, yeah, 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 I, no, I got it coming through Isaac. Yeah, but you did ask for a blessing on Ishmael, so I'm going to go ahead and bless him, and he'll have some nations after him. But the promise is with, with Isaac. He just kind of straightened things up. But when it came to Sarah's unbelief, her, her giggling, the Lord seems to be a little perturbed here and says, what, what is he laughing about? Is it too hard for me? And it says here, Sarah was, afraid, uh, Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, so she starts to lie about it. She starts to say, no, 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 I didn't really laugh. Like God couldn't figure this thing out. But the Lord says, no, you did laugh. So here is a correction. He's, he's saying you both laughed." I can see this like it's like they both laughed, but there was something going different in their hearts. Sarah's laughter must have been based on unbelief, an unbelief that got, said that God can't do this that it's too hard for God. That's why God had a reply. Is there anything too hard for me? Because he knew her response was, this is too hard for you. So his reply was, is there anything too hard for me? But Abraham didn't get the same rebuking. He didn't get the same response. His heart was different. This is a man that was considered a friend of God. This is a man that probably had a belief higher than anything we can even imagine. They believed for things. It was humorous to him because they were so old but that was about as far as it went. His laughter wasn't based on unbelief. It was based on, this is kind of humorous. Look at God's going to do. I, so, I, I got to laugh about it. He didn't deserve to be, he didn't need a rebuke. But Sarah's unbelief required a rebuke. Because the Lord said, everybody around you is, 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 con, is concerned by this promise, but primarily Abraham and Sarah are the two primary ones that are going to f- be able to fulfill this promise to be parents Of of generations she's the mother of generations he's the father of generations so we see this and we start to see a condition now remember we talked about mercy getting something we didn't deserve at that point there that unbelief could very well disqualify the promise being given especially because Sarah the one of the two components of it basically said I don't believe you It's, it's so I don't believe it so much I'm laughing about it but mercy came into play she got something she didn't deserve she in this situation became an extension of kindness, even though she was unworthy to receive the kindness. And I look at that and I say, I see us in that, that story. I see us in our circumstances. Maybe you see yourself. Maybe God has said something to you, or somebody has told you something. You ever had somebody come up to you and just give you a word, say, like, I believe the Lord's gonna call you to write a book? Or something that's so outrageous. You never even you know, made a posted note in your life, you know. But now, you know, the Lord says, and you may chuckle about it a little bit, but something starts tickling, right? You're like, you feel something inside of you. Remember that confirmation of the first installment starts to confirm something in you, and you start to say, all right, Lord, yeah. But you, you don't see it. There's no way for you to see it. And maybe, but maybe you try to shortcut the Lord by going, well, what about I just do this over here because I can see that happening. And The Lord says, no, 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 no. I, I didn't call you to do that. I called you to write a book. About a year, I'll come back and check with you and see where your heart's at. <laughs> see what's going on. See if you've lived out the, the the requirements of this promise. But whatever it may be, or you feel like you've been praying and believing for something, you said, "Lord, I've I really I'm believing for this. I'm believing for my whole family to be saved. I've got sons and daughters that are out living in the world. That if today you would return, they wouldn't go with me to heaven." And you know this, and you may even deny it in your heart. And you may say, no, God, certainly God's not going to do that. Remember, God's not a man that he should lie. But you're believing for that. And they may be so far out in the world that anybody else who had that same request, that saw it from the outside, would say, are you kidding for even asking God that? Look at the condition where they're at. But your heart's right. You've been believing right. You've been just knowing that God's word is his word. You believe his promises, his Yes and amen. You've been saying amen every time you read a word that confirms that, that you and your household shall be saved. You're believing for it. You're standing on it. You're not going to just let it fall away. You know that God's going to answer this thing. although other people may laugh, there may be some Sarah's in, in your life that are laughing at it and saying that's ridiculous that you even believe that. That's ridiculous. Or whatever your, whatever your prayer is, But you're standing on the promise and you're standing on the belief that God, is, there's nothing too difficult for God that He can do anything. And then if he can do these things for these people in the Bible, certainly that means he can do it for me. Because there was faults in Abraham. He wasn't a perfect guy. I mean, the guy went out and tried to shortcut the whole process by, by having adult, beginning in adultery. But nonetheless, he got his heart right. I'm sure his prayer life was on point. I'm sure he was right with the Lord. So when the God came to give the promise, he was able to receive it. He was able to say amen. He was able to walk out the conditions of the covenant and to continue to do that. And today we live in the fullness of the, of the uh, receiving of that promise and of the, uh, of, of, of the obedience, ob- obedience of like Daffy Duck there for a second. Obedience of, of Abraham, the obedience of Abraham. Abraham was so obedient. Today we benefit from that obedience. Who's going to benefit from your obedience today? Who's going to benefit from you saying, I believe you, Lord. I will stand on your promises. I will say amen when nobody else agrees. What is your promise? What is your belief? What is you? What have you been standing on that God needs to get involved in? And what do you need to do to fulfill that promise? Is there something that needs to change in your life? Is there something in your behavior, in your character, in your integrity, in your in, in everything that you do? Is there something in your relationship with the Lord? Are you in the Word enough? Are you praying enough? Or do we even know the Lord good enough to hear Him promise you anything in the first place? I know that's a tough thing to say, but could you hear Him the, if He promised you something anyway? I can't hear people that I'm not close to if I'm not in... Communion with them. I'm not talking with them. It's easy to hear something from my wife. I'm with her all the time. She she lives with me. We we are there together all the time. She can whisper something and I hear it and I believe it because I know her. I know what she tells me is true and I I, I and I know that it's, it's going to come. But 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 if I if I'm not with her, if I live in another state and I can't hear her, I, I'm in another whole different dimension, another area away from her. And sometimes that we're that way with the Lord. We think that we can just just fulfill everything that God has for us and not even have a relationship with Him. So maybe that's the first thing that needs to change is you say amen to that because you know it's true. And You say, I'm going to change some things today because I see that there's some promises that are incredible that are fulfilled in the Bible. And maybe my promise isn't even that big. Or maybe it's so big you're having a hard time grasping it that you're willing to do something different today. You're willing to walk out of here different than you came in. Because I can always pray for you and say, you know, man, I I really hope you walk out of here different than you came in, but it's up to you if you really do that. Everybody stand up with me real quick. We're just going to worship a little bit here. Love this song, and let's just sing this song. If there's something that you... I'd like you to get some time with the Lord, and that whether that's at your seat or whether that's at the at the at the altar up here. I ask my prayer team to come up and be available. You don't have to come pray with anybody if you just want to come up here and, and, and stand up for the Lord or worship or whatever. Do that. Do something different. Here's where do something different starts. If you're to, your 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 normal process is to sit there and do nothing, um, then continue to do that and you walk out the same way you came in. But if you're wanting something different to happen, do something different. Start praying a little different right now. Start worshiping a little different. Go to the front and get prayer. Go to the front and w- do something different in this moment so God can say, There's a heart change. Now I can do something in that person. Amen? And the next time God promises you something, what, what are we going to say? One word Amen. Amen. Because that means yes. May it be fulfilled in your life.